If you would please, Luke 24, uh, we're actually going to catch that uh, scripture. We did 28 this morning out front, so I, I, I did say I was going to switch and do something different this uh, inside this morning at 10 o'clock, so uh, those who are outside won't hear the full message of what I was going to say this time. But hey, blessed are the flexible, amen? It's the way it is. And normally it's three hours, but I promise to take it down to only about two hours. So just hang in there if you want to. So let's pray. Father, again, we thank you and praise you for this morning. And Again, Lord, we're just thankful and grateful for allowing us to be able to gather here in your name. And as your people are gathering here for you, just to meet with you, to hear from you, and to worship you, and to exalt you on high. And as we open up your scripture Holy Spirit, have your way with each and every person's heart and mind today and, uh, and do a fresh work in our lives, Lord. Cause us to want to go deeper in our passion, our love for you. And uh, again, Lord, just thank you for allowing us to be able to gather here this morning. In your name, in Jesus' name, amen. Luke 24. Now, of course, if you've been following along Passion Week with us, we started right from the very beginning of that Thursday, Friday, prior to Palm Sunday, and starting the journey that Jesus' disciples were making their way uh, down through Jericho into Bethany. Then, obviously, on Palm Sunday, we saw him coming in on the donkey and the praising and the honor and glorifying of the king to save now, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, save now. Because they wanted a king to come in and overthrow the government now so that we can now have peace in our lives as, 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 as Jews to be able to have this peace, to be able to live our lives in peace. And how important and how great uh, that is for us even today. Lord, save us. If the things are getting dark around this world, save us, take us, come back and take us home. We're ready to go. But in the meantime, we can live in just such a praise and joy and such peace because our, our Savior is alive. Our Savior is actively involved with your life as a believer. You're a child of God. And so we don't worry about the things that are going on around the world. It's not our home. Our home is in heaven, and he's coming back soon and very soon. But in the meantime, we praise him, we honor him, we glorify him, and we're about his business. And that business is to share the love of Christ, the good news, the gospel, with everybody and anybody who will listen. In whatever capacity and place he has placed you in, the workplace and the communities that we live and the ministries that he's called you to. We just have to be faithful. Be faithful in what God has called us to do. And wait for his return to take us home. Individually or collectively with the rapture. It is good with the rapture. It could happen today and I'd be all good with that. You know that, right? Because as soon and very soon, he will return. Then we saw and celebrated the um, Last Supper. Passover on Wednesday message <clears throat> and then on Friday Good Friday we celebrated and, and discussed and talked about in the scriptures the that day that 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 horrible day of 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 torture and torment and rebuke and mockery and all kinds of things that were taking place against our Lord to the point of crucifixion and being nailed to the cross dying on that cross 
and then being buried just before sunset, before the Sabbath was setting in. Can you imagine what all the people's minds were like to see such a horrific display that evil wanted to do to our Savior on the cross? If you know the scripture, you know that he was on that cross. He wasn't like we see in all the pictures and everything looks so clean and so perfect and the hair was just right on Jesus, you know. If you know the scripture, you know that's just not accurate and true. The beard was plucked out. His back was shredded. The crown of thorns was shoved into his skull and blood was everywhere. They stripped him of his clothes just so that they could cast lots on them and be able to gain something from Jesus while he was on the cross. But we also learned during that period of time where Jesus' mission was coming to fruition, that is to come to this earth and to die for the sin of the world was taking place on that cross and the weight of your sin and my sin was placed on our Savior that moment. The We could see a glimpse of such joy and peace on one man's face. What was it like of one of the thieves who finally come to realize that that was the Savior of the world? Have you ever pondered on what his face must have went from mocking Jesus? He's sitting there crucified too. He's watching him slowly dying and can barely breathe in the position that he's in. And he's watching this guy, this man here, that they're declaiming and the conversation's going on. What conversation brought him to a realization that this was Jesus, God in the flesh, who was about to die for the sin of the world? And he went from this mockery to... Jesus, remember me when you're, remember me. And he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Can you imagine the transformation that took place in the heart of that man? Remember, there's two thieves. They they both heard the same message. One chose to believe and one chose not to believe. But they heard the same message. Both of them appeared to have hard hearts going into the moment of them being crucified alongside the Savior of the world. One made the right choice to believe. And one chose not to believe. One chose, I want to be with you, Jesus. Wherever you're going, I don't fully understand where you're going, but I just want to be with you. Will you remember me? The other one heard the same same conversation, but still continued, I do not want to have anything to do with him, let alone where you're going. May that be a clear message for all who hear. That God's word, his his word will speak to your heart, guaranteed to every single human being. He'll be revealed to you. Most, if not all here, probably have given your life to Christ. Because you heard his voice and you surrendered your your life to him and said, I want to be with you, Jesus. 
I want to follow you the rest of my life. And you did that. Purely based on faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Just like this, the criminal on the cross who did that, he understood there was nothing he could do to earn his salvation because you cannot do that. And anyone and any religion that says you must do the following to be able to earn God's love and to be saved is a false teaching. You're saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And then once you receive him, he does all the work of transforming you by the reading of the word, transforms our minds, our hearts to be in line and just want to respond out of love to do whatever he's called you to do. Now remember, going into the cross, there was such turmoil. This is the Savior. This is who they've been following for three years. And now they find that even though he was telling them that he was going to die, and fulfilling the prophecies from Moses all the way through, they didn't get it. Yeah, I know. How many times have you heard the word of God and you still didn't get it? You're in good company. Just keep showing up regardless of how you feel because they kept following him regardless of how they were feeling, those disciples and all the followers of Jesus. And they eventually, they got it. They understood. But as you see there, can you imagine those who stayed next and watched their Savior dying on that cross, right there on that roadside, where it was so close, so they could see, they could smell the death, they could smell and see the blood, they could see and they could hear the puncture of the spear going into his side. If you were there, you could hear and see everything. And when they saw Jesus' body being taken down and placed into the tomb, what was their minds going? What was happening on that first night, second night? And then now coming into this third day. The ladies... All they could think about is, let's go finish preparing because this is the first opportunity that we get. They couldn't do it on a, a Sabbath, on the Friday and the Saturday. They couldn't do it on then. This is the first opportunity the women could say, let's go finish preparing Jesus' body in the tomb. And we find in our story here, picking up here in Luke 24, now in the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments." Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to, the, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember, <laughs> remember 
how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and he crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary of the mother of James and the other women, Salome. There were all those women who had been following, was with the, came that morning with them and who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed marveling to himself at what had happened. As we continue through, remember, through Matthew 28 Verses 1 through 13, Mark 16, 1 through 14, Luke 24, verses 1 through 49, and John chapter 20, verses 1 through 23, speak of the different perspectives or viewpoints of this moment this morning, of when they realize Jesus is risen and that their Savior is alive and that death could not hold him and that victory was given. To Jesus, who then gives it to us in our personal relationship with him. I'm going to go through the different occurrences because I find it's important to remind people today that you weren't there, but today we have to understand what they saw and experienced over the next 40 days with Jesus. Because many people today and a lot of the youth today are taught that this never happened. That it's just a story and it's just made up and it's a, well, they don't know the scripture. Many who claim to be Christians and claim to go to church, they never even read the word of God and even know some of the things I'm going to touch on today that talk about what they experienced over the next 40 days there where Jesus was on earth after his resurrection. Did you know that? Some of you are going, he was on the earth for 40 days? Yes. We find here this early morning a great earthquake happened and an angel rolled back the stone from Jesus' tomb. We saw that, we see that in Matthew 28, verses 2 through 4. Over here in Luke, we only mentioned there was just one angel, but there were two angels that were there. In the other gospels, we know they were so bright and so white as snow, they were like lightning on the appearances. It was a such an, an overwhelming appearance of the purity of these angels that showed up to roll back the stone to the tomb. Was that just for a courtesy? Was the father said, hey, these ladies, you know, they're on their way. They, they have such a great heart. Can we help them out? And can you move the big stone rock? Because they haven't figured that out how to do that. No, that wasn't the purpose. The purpose was so that they could see that Jesus was not among the dead. He had risen. Several women showed up that morning. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Salome, Mary, the mother of James, 
and others, they all went to the tomb and discovered that the large stone covering that entrance was removed for them so that they could see. And the angels we know in the scripture say, go in, look. You need to look for yourself. You obviously will believe us. Go and look for yourself. And they did. And they went in there. We see that Mary Magdalene left to tell Peter and John. We see that in John chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. So immediately Mary Magdalene noticed, okay, he's not here. I'm going to go. And immediately went to tell Peter and John. We also know in the scripture in Matthew 28, 5-7 that other women remaining at the tomb saw two angels who told them about the resurrection and that's when the angel announced, don't be afraid. I know that you're seeking Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. But notice when you go back today and you ponder on the scriptures in Matthew alone in verses 5 through 7, there are some key words there, come and see, they say. And after they came and they saw, they were to go and tell others what they saw. And that's still the great commandment of, for us today. When you come and see that Jesus is alive and that he personally wants a a relationship with you to save you from your sin because he gave you pardon, he paid for that sin on the cross. Once you've come and once you've seen for yourself that implies to you, you and I are to go out and tell other people the good news. That you've been saved and that they too can be saved from their sin. That's, That's the natural response that we're to do. We also see in the scriptures, we continue, now Peter and John rushes back after Mary Magdalene tells them that Jesus' tomb is empty. We see that in Luke 24, 12 and John 20, verses 3 through 10. These two guys come rushing back to see for themselves how grand it is that, the, that God himself let the women be the very first ones to experience, to come and see that Jesus is risen. Back in that culture, that culture never believed the word of a woman. But remember, Jesus came to change all of that. He used them as vessels to be and create an incredible messenger to the, the, the apostles to say, because their love for their Savior was so overwhelming, they were willing to go. Even though they came in thinking they were going to have a dead body to prepare, they didn't have the faith to believe that he was risen, even though that he said he would. But God used that. And bring honor to those women. But those men turn around and come running in to see and look. And we also see in Mark 16 and Mark 20, Mary Magdalene returning to the tomb. And Jesus appeared to her alone in the garden. She's the very first person to see Jesus in his risen state. Mary Magdalene. What a position of honor. What a position of of just of love that he had for her. Here's a woman who was demon-possessed and all kinds of challenges in her life, and Jesus freed her from that three years prior. When you have been forgiven much, your love is so deep 
for Jesus. When you don't think you're a sinner or a big sinner, you think you're just a little sinner compared to everybody else, you know. When you think you're just a little sinner, then you don't have much love for a Savior because you don't think you really need to be saved from much. But let me assure you, my brothers and sisters, keep reading the Word of God because when you do that and the farther you fall in love with Jesus, the more you follow Him, the more you realize how much of a sinner you really are. Because the closer you get to the purity of light of who Jesus is, the more it brings out the flaws and issues that's in your life. But don't let that be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just keep walking with the Lord as he walks with you and he talks with you through this life. We also, that's the very first appearance of Jesus to anybody is right there is Mary Magdalene in Mark 16 and Mark 20. The second appearance that Jesus has, Jesus appeared to the other women, Mary and the mother of James, Salome, and Joanna. We see that in Matthew 28, verses 8 through 10. Now it's the second occurrence that he shows himself to these ladies. Again, still the ladies. Those faithful ladies who showed up in the morning to seek after, to show honor in praise of their Savior, even though, they, even though they thought he was dead. Then we see the third appearance. We see this out of Matthew, where we see that Jesus appeared to Peter. We find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5. His name is Cephas in his Aramaic name. Simon is his Hebrew name, but Peter is his Greek name. So it's the same guy. Here comes Peter showing up, and Jesus reveals himself to Peter. Why was that so important? You know the story, right? Jesus was there being starting to be whipped and uh, tortured, and he was following from a distance. He was in the courtyard, and he wasn't going to come near, and then he gets tested, does he not? By a little girl. You know, you've been hanging with Jesus. No, I have no I don't know the man. The next test came by another little girl. Or a young lady or whoever, a woman says, you, you, you've been with Jesus of Nazareth. And then he curses, remember? He, he really boldly says, I don't know nothing about this man. And then, of course, the third time is, as Jesus warned Peter what would happen. Before the crow makes a sound, you will have denied me three times. And you remember it cut Peter, that conviction of realizing he just denied his Savior three times. And he repented and wept bitterly. And those who will repent and weep bitterly for their sin that they have found, where they're just rejecting Jesus in their life, even though they, he had been walking with Jesus for three years, Three years. Eating with them, sleeping beside them, in the ministry with them, all things. This, it's not like he was walking from, you know, he just heard about Jesus at that moment in time. Here's a man who was called by God. Remember the fisherman? 
But his pride was holding him back. And then finally God revealed he gave his life to him. He followed him for three years. And here he is, his pride showing back up once again as a tough man. Not that tough when you're sitting here telling two ladies and some people around a fire, fire pit denying Jesus. But now Jesus says it's time to restore Peter back into the fellowship into heaven. Let him know that, Peter, I called it out on you. I know your, I know your stiff-necked way, you guy. You know, I, know your, I know your patterns, man. I know you very well. And I said it would happen. And what did, what did Jesus do? We see that he shows up, this third appearance, and he embraces Peter in the love and receives him back. Letting him know, I haven't, my love hasn't changed for you, Peter. I saw, I heard the rooster, I knew, but that's why I went to the cross for you, Peter. Because of that stubbornness. That stiff-neckedness. I died for that. We find that was just in the morning. Then we find in the scriptures in the afternoon, Sunday afternoon, Jesus appeared to two men on the road to Emmaus, the village of Emmaus. Remember that? In Mark 16, Luke 24, 13 through 32. This is the fourth appearance that Jesus has to two disciples specifically. I'll read it for you. I'm going to take verses 13 through 17, then 25 through 32 for the sake of time. It says, Now behold, two of them were traveling the same day to the village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. That would have been about a three-hour walk. So everything was taking place. Everything they went to the tomb. They heard. They started walking. They were leaving. Why? I don't know why. All I know is they're walking away from where that Jesus is, is not in the tomb. He's alive. They said he must have just gone and we won't ever see him again. Whatever it is, they start walking away from Jerusalem. Now they're about three hour walk or seven miles. And they talk together of all the things which had happened. So it was when they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? So he's calling out their emotions. They're calling out what their conversation is like. And they're like, where are you going? Then we jump down to verse 25 of verse 20, uh, chapter 24 of Luke. It says, Then he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and then to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. See how awesome it is to study the entire scriptures because Jesus is spoke of through the Old Testament all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament. Then they drew near. Can you imagine that recording? Oh, wouldn't that have been a great recording of Jesus teaching them on the road to Emmaus? Of a, just expounding in the details of the scriptures? Oh, awesome. 
But then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they restrained him, saying, Abide with this, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he, Jesus, took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while, we, while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Now, I, there's so much in those ver- so few verses that pertain to us. When you're sitting there talking in fellowship about the things of God and his word, Guess who will draw close and show up into that conversation where there's two or more gathered in his name? That's why we don't want to forsake the fellowship. Don't let the enemy try to keep you away from the fellowship as much and as convenient as you find it to be at times. In your comfy little slippers on a Sunday morning. But what we're missing out is that time of fellowship because when you talk about the things of God, that's what true fellowship is is where you're talking about the things of God and what he has done in your life or what he's doing in their life and what's going on in your lives together. That is when he shows up and draws near and he brings a light to you and to me and our fellowship through his word, things that we need to understand and know for life. And if you notice when he broke the bread, at that point in time, their eyes were, were, were strained God's timing of restraining and all of a sudden opening it up so that all of a sudden it came very clear. Again, do you see the link? He did communion at Passover, that last supper, giving them. When you break, they take this bread and break it. When you drink this cup, and you, take, you will remember what I'm about to do for you. And they didn't even understand it at that time. Now we're here three days later, here's two people walking, talking about everything. Were they talking about what happened at the, the Passover, that last that Seder, that last supper? Were they talking about those things? And remember he said he was going to break that bread and take this cup and drink this cup. And all of a sudden he breaks the bread right there in that house. And immediately, clarity of their relationship with who? With Jesus comes very clear. Why do we do communion? Because it helps us when we take that cracker, when we take that that cup, it brings us to one person and focuses our entire attention on one person. Who is that? Jesus. Our relationship with Jesus. And everyone else fades away. And everything now becomes very clear for your life because you're focused on remembering what Jesus has done for you and I on the cross and that he is alive interceding for you and I from heaven and he's coming back for you amen we find this continues into Sunday evening as these due to disciples from Emmaus they, so they rose up that very hour when they realized this was Jesus, and then he vanished. <laughs> Can you imagine? 
imagine what their minds must have been spinning. I mean, he's right there and gone in his new body, capable of going, boop, gone. You know we're going to have the same bodies, right? When we get our new bodies, we're going to disappear and reappear. I can't wait. This is going to be really cool. But we see that they rose up the very hour. They did not waste any time. They didn't just keep it to themselves. They had compelling. They must go and tell. They came and see. They saw Jesus. He revealed himself. Now they're going to go and tell. Right? Look at what happened. The very hour they returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven. Those who were with them gathered together. They traveled all the way back and told their others about what they saw Jesus. And we see that in verses 33 and 35 of Luke 24. They traveled seven miles back, three hours. Maybe it was a little shorter on the way back, don't you think? I think they're going to have a little bit of a trot to their step this time to get back. They still traveled the seven miles to get back from the northwest of uh, Jerusalem where they were, and they traveled back to tell the others. And then we see in Luke 24, verses 36 through 43, and John 20, the fifth appearance. Jesus appears to ten apostles with Thomas absent in the upper room. He shows up. All of a sudden, they're closed doors, man. They're in there going, what is going on? What do we do next? How, who's the leader? Who are gonna, what's gonna, what do we do next? They're forgetting Jesus said, go to Galilee, remember? And what happens? Thomas. Where's Thomas? Thomas, Thomas, Thomas. Where's Thomas? But the ten were still gathering together just for probably strength and to encourage one another in this turmoil that was about this happening. We see this. Let me read it to you. And now as they were said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. Then we jump down and it says, and he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do you, why do, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that, is, that it is I myself. Handle me, see me, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Then skip down there in verse 41, I think it is. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? And then he jumps down a little bit further in the scriptures. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. All the things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Who's that promise? In your Bibles, it should be a capital P. Who's the promise? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are, are endued with power from on high. Do you notice there in that last verse as a side note here? Behold, I send the promise, the Holy Spirit of my Father, that will come upon you. 
Remember in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was upon people. The Holy Spirit was around people. The Holy Spirit did not dwell within people. It wasn't until what? Pentecost, when they waited and tarried for the movement of the Holy Spirit to come into them. And that's why he says, the endued with the power on high, that's when the Holy Spirit comes in. That's the New Testament. But notice that. He shows up this fifth appearance to these ten apostles, the guys who have been watching Jesus day by day. Then we see in the scriptures there's a gap, and not until the following Sunday, Jesus appears, the sixth appearance, and Jesus appears to the 11 apostles this time, including Thomas. And then what did Thomas do? Thomas, 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 you got to look. And he believed. Can you imagine the conversation with the guys with Thomas? Thomas, you missed out, dude. You, you have no idea. You, you, you didn't show up. When you don't show up the, for the service, man, when the ten of us were in the upper room and he just appeared and he showed us the, the, the holes in his hands and his feet, you missed it, Thomas. Where were you, Thomas? You should show up. Well, I didn't feel like it. Well, you show up regardless of how you feel because if you're not there, you're not going to experience God's, Jesus showing up and moving. Thomas was here this time, wasn't he? He wasn't going to miss the next gathering potentially with the Jesus showing up, and he showed up. In the sixth appearance, Thomas got to see him, and he believed. Then the following 32 days, a total of 40 days, we see in the scripture Jesus' seventh appearance. We see that in John 21, verses 1 through 14. Jesus appeared to the seven disciples by the Sea of Galilee, And remember, he performed the miracle of fish. What a beautiful thing. The next one, Jesus' eighth appearance. We find in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. We see it mentioned in Mark 16, 15 through 18. And also, you will note, it's also mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15, 6. And the reason why I'm slowing down in my pattern of voice is for this reason. Many will say to you, you may have heard it, you may have said it. Well, of course the ladies did it because they're going to continue their story because then they, it makes them look bad if, if they, they don't continue the story that the, you know, what they've been, they, made, they felt foolish for three years following a man who ended up dying. No, that's not it. The guys, of course, will make up any kind of fish story to make up, to, to show and make up the difference of their shortcomings of understanding of who Jesus was. Can't use that excuse. You know why? Because in the scripture, Jesus reveals to himself 500 people. 500 people. Scripture talks, many of them at the time when they wrote the scriptures, some of them were still alive and witnesses to that occurrence. Then we see Jesus' ninth appearance. He shows up, and I've always found this interesting. It's in 1 Corinthians 15, 7. Jesus appears to his half-brother James. Can you, can you imagine growing up in a household with a brother who is perfect? <laughs> a perfect brother. Can you imagine? Does nothing wrong. Never talks back. 
does whatever his parents tell him to do. <laughs> uh, we all pray for that as, as parents, don't we? And if you remember in the scriptures, there's an occurrence when, you know, <laughs> Mary shows up with the kids and they're outside and, and Jesus is teaching. They say, hey, Jesus, your mom and your kids are outside. What, who's my mother? <laughs> who's, my, who's my brothers? Who's my sisters, right? Who are they? But those who follow me, and in the scriptures makes it very clear, who's closer in your life than anybody else should be? It is those who are brothers and sisters in the Lord, not blood. It doesn't appear James is half-brother, right? Mary, you know, maybe people teach that Mary didn't have any other children. No, we see in the scripture very clearly that he, she had other kids. James being one of them. But they did not believe who Jesus was. And we were kind of pondering in that conversation. When did Mary tell the kids, oh, your brother is God in the flesh? I mean, at what point did she have that conversation, or did she? But all we do know is that what took place in James' life was a radical change after the resurrection. And now we clearly see that James who we believe wrote the book of James, is a believer and a follower of Jesus because he witnessed and or at least saw or knew what had happened to his brother Jesus on the cross. That was the ninth appearance. Then we see the tenth appearance as Jerusalem, at Jerusalem, Jesus appeared again to his disciples there in Luke 24, verses 44 through 49. And then finally, we see the final occurrence right there, Luke 24. Let me draw your attention to verses 50 through 53. And he, Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany, the Mount of Olives area right there. And he lifted up his hands, blessed them. And now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Was it great sadness? Great joy. And were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. We see at the final occurrence, he's out there for 40 days, revealing himself to the ones we see up to 500 people occurrences that everyone knew that he was alive. Remember when the earthquake happened, when he, when he died, graves were open. Remember, dead people came out and walked on this earth as well that who had died previously. Did you know that? Do you know the scripture? And here we find these, all these eyewitness accounts of the gospel. Christians believed with undeniable evidence that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is risen, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ indeed happened. That's why we celebrate it, and they've been celebrating ever since. Over two millennia after his death, followers of Christ still flocked to Jerusalem to see the empty tomb. If you haven't had an opportunity to go to Jerusalem, it's a wonderful experience. And then the 
the tomb they believe that Jesus was buried there for those three days and three nights. You actually can go inside, right next to the Golgotha. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is good news for you and I. It's a good message for you and I to remember and to share with those who will listen. The early church bore these witness of this resurrection, and now we have it in written format that God has preserved called the Bible, his, his word, and his word is true. You can absolutely place your entire life upon his word. He put his word above his own name. The question comes down to you, a question that Jesus asks each and every one of us, do you love me? That was part of the restoration of Peter's life, wasn't it? Peter, you love me. Yeah, I've got, I got a, a good acquaintance with you. We're, we're good. We're buds. We're brothers. You know, we're good. No, that's, that's, not, that's not what Jesus, because remember, Jesus says, do you agape love me? Unconditional love me. Complete, complete surrender. Nothing holding back. And all, how Peter responded was, yeah, I know you. We're, we're okay. We're good. Peter, no, do you, do you love me? Again, agape love. Do you unconditionally love me? Your, your life is devoted to me. Jesus, you know we're tight, man. We're, we're really, I know you. We're good. We're, we're, we're just fine, right? We're just fine, our relationship kind of response. So what does Jesus do? He lowers from unconditional love to, okay, Peter, we just have a good relationship level. And that's when it cut to the core of Peter's heart when he realized, wow, I'm, lose, I'm, I'm missing out. I'm going to lose this, 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 this relationship because I'm so stubborn and I'm so bullheaded and stiff-necked and want to live my life however I want to live. But I believe Jesus' grace can take us wherever we're at. And if it's not unconditional love for Jesus, realizing truly if you really believed the scripture, how could you or I not give our lives completely over to him? That's my prayer for you today. For those who are here or those who are listening or will be listening later on, I pray that you've come to the point of understanding that you can have a deep relationship with the Savior of the world by faith in him and him alone and what he's done for you on the cross. The last two scripture here. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, I think it's very important for you to hear this. He says, these things I have spoken to you. He's pertaining to you and I as well, you know. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Do you realize his 
death and resurrection. He has victory. has now taken out death. It no longer has its sting. No longer has its grip. We no longer fear death because the fact that Jesus has victory over death. And as a child of God, we are in Christ. Christ is in us. We have victory over death. Do you know that? That we don't have to fear death. I assure you, my brothers and sisters, there are going to be wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and more pestilence. We call it COVID. I don't care what you call it. But these things are going to happen. But as Jesus says to his disciples then and to us, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I've overcome the world. But here's the next verse I want to give you, and that is out of 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. What overcomes the world that we live in today? Say it with me. Our faith. What is it? Our faith. Where is your faith in Jesus Christ this morning? That's my challenging question for you.